As we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 18. And it being the last Sunday of the month, uh, it is that week where children will stay with us this morning. Uh, so don't worry about that, parents. Um, it's good for them to be with us and worship with us through the whole service. Uh, so if they talk or whatever, no big deal. I'm going to keep going. Lord willing. The last couple of weeks, um, we began looking at our purpose as a church being glorifying God as disciples of Jesus Christ, making disciples of Jesus everywhere. That we know who he is, that we who have trusted Jesus in faith, are desiring to follow him, to be like him, and then we're calling by sharing the gospel others to follow him as well, and then helping to train each other and, and others up to follow Jesus in Holdenville, in the U.S., and across the world, in whatever ways that we can engage that and do that. Um, that is our mission, and that begins with knowing who God is and what he's done, what he's like, and what he's done. And so we looked at Romans 1 and saw that God himself is revealed in creation to anybody who lives, that there are minimal attributes of God that are clearly perceived in the world around us. And anybody in the U.S., across the world, at any time, in any place, is without excuse for rejecting to worship God as God because he's revealed himself. And so the root of any sin that we could engage in comes from failing to worship God who he is. So we, Romans 1 says that rather than worshiping him as God, we turn and worship the creature rather than the creator. We worship something lesser than God. And, and we could call out any sin and any issue that engages us right now, and it comes back to failing to worship God and worshiping someone or something rather than God. So that even if it's, even if it's something seemingly as far away from worship as sexual sin, that is desiring, to, making me the root of, and the judge of anything that's fulfilling. So I'm going to go after what I want, when I want, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says about it. Because I'm worshiping me at that point. I'm setting the rules, I'm setting the pace, I'm making the choices. And it's a failure to worship God, and it's worshiping me. And it's idolatry. And we could say that same thing with greed, we could say the same thing with anything else that we put in that place. Sin is failing to worship God as God and worshiping something else in its place. So we know God, and then because of that, and because we're all guilty of that, we need to know the gospel. And so that's kind of where we were at last week in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we said that that failing to worship is failing to show that God is glorious, failing to evidence him around us by our choices, the things that we say and the things that we do. We fail to worship him as God and therefore sin. And everybody's in that boat. Nobody escapes that boat. And the only way that we escape is through Jesus. 
that he came, he lived perfect, he worshiped rightly at every turn, and so we trust that he did what we couldn't do, and he does in us what we can't do in making us right before God because of his sacrifice, death on the cross, and resurrection from the dead to live and reign and rule at the right hand of God right now in heaven. So we trust him, and that's the only way that we find rescue. That's the only way that we find forgiveness. That's the only way that we find unwavering hope in the world that he can correct our worship problem in our idolatry. So God is good. We have sinned and fallen short of that. Christ came, paid the price to bring us out of that, so by trusting him, we may be rescued. That's the gospel. So what we want to do this morning in the gospel part two, knowing the gospel. Well, let me say it this way. In a week, there's a football game on TV. I've watched football. I didn't play football in high school. I kind of wish that I would have. I didn't. That's another story. I do like watching it, though, now. Uh, and probably the longer that I go, the more of a... Uh, fan I am, I guess, of the game. Now, but I'm, I'm still an ignorant fan in, in many respects. And I'm not, anyway, that, moving on. Some people who are students of the game, okay, know the game, love the game, follow the game. I mean, they know football. They will watch a play, and they can tell you what went right and what went wrong. They don't know what the play was called. They don't know what the defensive play call was. They may not know what the offensive play call was, but they can identify the formation. They can identify the positions. They can identify how it went about, what happened, and they could read into that the play. They can apply the game of football and their knowledge of football, and they can read any play and tell what's happening based on their knowledge of football. What we want to be able to do in our knowledge of the gospel is to be able to look at any situation in life and be able to apply the gospel to that situation. We may not know the full story of somebody's life or somebody's choices or somebody's circumstances or even our own, but we want to be able to say this is the gospel regardless of where your need lies. It lies and the solution is here. In the gospel. And so that's what we want to do today. And we're going to do that out of Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 18. The story of the rich young ruler. As we've called. If you've grown up in church. And heard it in Sunday school. It's not a must to know that. But that's how we refer to it. And you'll see why. Luke chapter 18 verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. At which point I would break in and say, honor your father and mother. Time out. You're telling me from your youth, you have kept that commandment. Honor your father and mother. So when they said no, you didn't throw a fit and respond in any sort of way? Like you honored them in their no? Really? 
really. Anyway, that's just from my state of life right now, but that's another story. It happened to you guys too. Okay, okay. 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is God's word for us this morning. And so we ask, where in here is the gospel? The first thing that I want to point you to is, is where we began in knowing God. And that's exactly where Jesus points him to. The ruler comes and he says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds to him, why do you call me good? Nobody is good but God. And in that, I think Jesus is kind of testing him a little bit and saying, why do you call, you recognize something right about me, but do you know what it is that you recognize? Do you even know why you're referring to me that way? Do you know why you're calling me that? Because God is the only one that's good. Side note, that means... Romans 3.23 is true, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all people of all times and all places, there is no one person, good, but God. Because God sets the standard of what is good, and if we can't measure up to the character of God, then nobody is good. And Jesus is rightly affirming that. He's affirming God's character. He's affirming that we fall short of it. And by the way, he's saying... You need to know God. If you're going to come at me and ask me this question, you need to know who God is and you need to be clear on who you're talking to because he is God in the flesh. We need to know God. That's the first point of the gospel. We need to know that God is perfect, that there's no way that we can measure up to his character. And because of that, because he's just, because he's deserving of all worship and we fail to worship him as we ought to, we basically make him look small when we worship ourselves. When we live the way that we want to do, live, and we make the choices that we want to make, and we say the things that we want to say, regardless of what he said, regardless of the example that's set, regardless of following his character, we make God look small, and he's not. We want to make ourselves look big. I'm the one who decides. I follow me. Not what God said, this outdated stuff that's for not us. We know better than, than this. We know better now. No, we don't. 
Because all of this is saying, this is who God is, be like him, and you will fail, and so you will need help. We will never realize that we need help from God if we don't remember who he is. If we don't remember his perfection. If we don't remember his character. If we don't know his character. If we don't know by failing to worship him because of that, we deserve what is just in eternal condemnation. Because we've made ourselves out to be the center of the universe rather than recognizing him as such. We have to know God, and that's exactly where the gospel starts. It's exactly where Jesus begins in this. And the second thing, we've got to stop working to earn salvation. Which seems a little strange because he says, Jesus, when he's asked, how do I get eternal life? This is the question that the rich young ruler is asking. What can I do? How good do I need to be? What's the threshold? Where do I need to achieve so that I can hop over that mark of getting eternal life? What do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, it's simple. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He said, I've done all of these. Side note. How many commandments are there? not a trick question there's 10 and if you notice jesus names off five why does he only name off five because there's more to the story he gets to the other ones but he never states them specifically and i'll show you that what the rich young man is saying in this moment is he said i've done everything that i can do what, what are you saying that I, I lack? I've done all of that. So if you're saying this is the standard, he's saying, I've met the standard then. So what else is there? And what Jesus says, skipping the middle part for a second, what Jesus says at the end of this is, when he says, this man will not enter the kingdom of God, it's impossible and that those who are around him, and specifically his disciples, say, then if this guy can't be saved, then who can be? And Jesus says, with man, it is impossible. But with God, anything is possible. And he's not saying that you could go dunk a basketball goal if he's 60 years old. He's not saying you can achieve any physical feat that you want. God can make anything possible. He can make you earn a million dollars without ever getting a job. That's not what he's saying. He's saying with man, it is impossible to enter eternal life. With man, you cannot do anything to enter eternal life. You cannot keep enough rules. You cannot do enough good. You cannot, you cannot outweigh that which you've done wrong. There's no way that you can get there if you fall short of the standard of getting there. Which, by the way... We all fall short of the standard of getting there on our own. That's why he says, with man, it's impossible. We have to stop, you and I have to stop trying to earn our keep in the kingdom of God. I don't care how long you've come to church. I don't care how many Sundays you've not missed. I don't care how many days you've woken up and opened your Bible 
I don't care how many times you've prayed, how much money you've given away to the poor. I don't care how much service that you've done in this building or outside of this building. Nothing that you can do, no good works that you can achieve will stack up enough to outweigh the, your failure to worship God as God. You don't make up for failing to worship God by doing a lot of stuff. We don't earn anything by being here, by keeping rules, by not killing anybody or not committing adultery or honoring our father and mother, if we can honestly say that we've always done that. We, we, we can't stack up enough good stuff. That's why Jesus says, you, man, nobody can be good enough. It's impossible. So who can be saved? What's behind that also this idea that they had in their culture, and I think we still share it too, that somebody having a lot of stuff signifies God's blessing on their life. So they're looking at this guy. They know he's a ruler. They know that he's wealthy. He has a lot. He's achieved a lot. God must have placed his stamp of approval on his life because he has power, he has authority, and he has a lot of stuff. So if anybody could find favor with God... This guy should be able to, they're thinking. And his testimony himself, man, I've kept all of the rules. He was good, too. Good. By his own standards. By standards of comparison, maybe to those next to him or beside him. So if he can't be saved, the, the disciples are going, if this guy can't get in on his own, with the favor that he has from God, with everything that he's done right, that's gone right in his life, then who in the world can make it? If he's out, there's no hope for us. And that's why Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's not about that. It's not about what you can do or can't do. You've got it wrong. With man, it's impossible. But with God, it is possible. So then, what do we do? If we're not going to be able to earn our salvation. Like, salvation is not a scholarship. You work for a scholarship, right? If, if your plan is to go to school, college, four-year college or two-year college or whatever, scholarship's always helpful. It's always good, right? But you can't wake up last semester, senior year and go, okay, now how do I get this scholarship? If you haven't put in the work beforehand, Right? So if you're trying to get a scholarship, whether it's athletics, whether it's academics, whether it's music or drama or whatever you want a scholarship for, right, you've got to do the work ahead of time. And you've got to hope that at the end of the day that you outweigh the people who are around you that are competing for the same scholarship and, and prove that you're better than them to get the spot. Listen, heaven is not a scholarship. Eternal life is not a scholarship that we're working towards and hoping that we're better than the people next to us so that we can get in and they don't. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. We cannot earn it and we have to stop earning it. What is the deal? We have to repent from sin and false worship. We have to turn away from our sin and false worship. And that's exactly what Jesus tells him. He said, I didn't hear repentance. I didn't hear turning. I didn't hear any of that. Look with me. 
Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. You said you've done all of that and you're good by those standards. Okay, there's still one more thing that remains. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, what in the world does that have to do with sin? What does it have to do with repentance? Here's what it has to do. This guy's problem was he was his own God. I can do it. What do I need to do to make it? Okay, I've done that. Okay, Jesus says one more thing. If you want to stack all these things up to make your way in, there's one more thing you need to do. Go sell everything that you have and come and follow me. What he's saying is, you still have a worship problem. Because when he says this, when Jesus tells the man this, what does he do? He becomes sad. Because he knows he's not going to do that. Okay, he knows he needs help. He came to Jesus looking for an answer. He has questions about life. I know that I can go to this place. And this guy's, I trust that he's going to tell me something. He has some insight that I need. And Jesus gives him the insight. You need to take all the stuff that you have and you need to sell it and come and follow me. Why? Because that stuff has you. The stuff that you possess is your God. Why is he sad? Because he knows that he can't sell it. Not that he can't. He knows that he won't. It's too important to him to let go of. Because he can't imagine life without his stuff. So, when he's left with the choice of Jesus and following him or going back home to all of my stuff, stuff wins out. My happiness and my pleasure wins out. I'm not going to, I can't do what you're asking me to do, Jesus. He had a worship problem. God himself is standing right before him in the flesh and he can't recognize it. He'd rather go back home to stuff, which, by the way, when he dies, will be gone anyway. And who knows? He could have died a week later. And what do you have to show for it? Nothing. His stuff had him. He had a worship problem. He didn't want to worship God through Jesus. He didn't want to recognize God in Jesus. He wanted to hold on to his own way, his own stuff, his own life. And he thought that was better. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. Jesus is better. I don't care what else in your life that you're holding on to or that you think will bring satisfaction and joy and happiness. Jesus is better than your stuff. He's better than your way of life. He's better than your pursuit of happiness. He's better than the career that you're chasing. He's better than the money that you think will buy you what you want. He's better than the 100,000 acres that you can run 100,000 head of cattle on. I don't know if that math adds up, but, but it does because Jesus is better than that. He's better than having a five-car garage with the five most expensive cars in the world next to the biggest house that you can afford. He's better than that. And anything else that you can put your arms around and bring into your life is just a distraction from that truth. It may even be a person. Jesus even says, Truly I say to you, there's no one that has left house 
or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. He's not saying if you're married, leave your wife and go follow Jesus. Don't hear that. He's not saying abandon your kids and let DHS take care of them and move overseas and go share the gospel. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is in these disciples' cases, when he came to them and said, come and follow me, they were willing and did leave family, mom, dad, brothers, sisters. They left their career, some as fishermen, some as physicians, some as tax collectors. They left the wealth some of them had accumulated. What they did with all of that is said family, stuff, money, status, None of that means anything. If this guy right in front of me is saying, follow me, I trust him. And I trust that what he has is better. And I'm willing to leave all of this behind. And that's what they said that they did. Not to try to earn God's favor, but because they recognized where true worth was. That Jesus and following him was worth more than whatever they would leave behind. So they didn't have a worship problem because the very thing that was most valuable that deserved all the honor was in front of them and they chased that with everything that they had. I devoted their lives to it. Sometimes when we come to this text, I've heard people come to this text and say, Jesus isn't really telling you to go and sell all that you have to follow him. I think he might. I think in our culture, that's a way that we make ourselves feel good about having a lot of stuff. Because regardless of where you think you fit in our society, all everybody in this room is rich. Compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. You may feel like you're on the bottom rung here in town, but you're rich. I guarantee it. I think one of the things that Jesus is saying in this is, if you're not willing to part with everything that you've accumulated, how important am I to you, really? Do you love me more than what you have? I'm not saying you need to leave here and go put everything up on Facebook Marketplace and try to get rid of it. But what I am saying is if you're making excuses of why Jesus isn't asking you to do that, he may be asking you to do that. And you're trying to reason your way out of it. Just like if you're in a relationship, not a marriage, you've made a covenant, you're, you're set. A relationship, if you're in a pursuit of a career, and you say, I'm too far down this road, I can't turn back now. He's not asking me to leave that. Yes, please, provide for your family if you have a family. Earn a living do that's godly and right. But not at the expense of failing to worship God for who he is and chasing what you want rather than what he's pointing you to. If he's trying to draw you and say, you need to leave this place and you need to move overseas so that you can share the gospel to a people in a place that don't have a testimony to me. If you say, I'm good here, you're kind of like this guy who left 
the presence of God sad because his stuff was more important. What besides the overwhelming worth of God has a grip on your soul and your mind and your life right now that you are not willing to part with? Is it your own pride? If I admit this, then people will think it's you then and your image. What has a grip? Because Jesus is saying you leave everything behind when you come and follow me. Being a disciple of Jesus is not an easy life. If you entered into it thinking that it was, if you came in here this morning thinking that you were going to hear a message that made everything in your life rainbows and flowers and butterflies, you came to the wrong scripture. Now, yes, Jesus is offering overwhelmingly eternal hope that does not waver or change through faith in him. Your eternity can be set through trusting Jesus. But that doesn't mean that as you continue to live and breathe in this life, in this moment, in this place, that things are going to work out perfectly. He's not promising a pretty life. But he's saying, if you leave whatever you're going to leave to follow me, it will be worth your while. I'll make it worth it. Knowing me and following me and being in fellowship with me with God the Father through Jesus is better than anything that you can bring into your life. Anything that has a hold of you in your life, following Jesus is far better than that. And that's exactly what it means to trust him in faith. I know how good this thing is. And I can't imagine that you're better than that. But if you're telling me that you're better, then I'm willing to try it. That's trusting Jesus that you're better than this stuff and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to leave all of that behind. That is repenting and from false worship and turning and realigning our worship with where it should be with the God of heaven through trusting Jesus, that he's better than anything else. And we follow him. So I will ask you this morning, what has a grip of you It's possible to, in that pursuit, get a little distracted by life and stuff and to need to continue to repent and turn to worship Him. And it's possible that you agree with the right facts about Jesus that you believe in your mind. When we say believe, when Jesus says believe, when scriptures say, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you believe Jesus as Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not talking about mentally agreeing. It's talking about trusting, putting your faith in. Believe is a hard translation in that regard. It's trusting Jesus. If you trust within the deepest part of who you are in your heart, you trust that God raised him from the dead, that he is who he says he is, God in the flesh raised from the dead, seated at the Father's right hand, you will be saved. So maybe it's possible that you've agreed with a bunch of facts for a long time, but you've never trusted Jesus with your life. 
You've never turned from everything else to follow him. What has a hold of you? Would you trust Jesus above all else? Realign your worship and devotion to him. Because at the end of the day, that's what's at stake. Are we devoted to Jesus, to honoring him, to making much of him, to worshiping him? It's a worship problem only fixed by worshiping. I trust you are who you say you are, and I will go to the ends of the earth. I will say whatever you say to say to whomever you put in front of me. I will go where you say to go, do what you say to do, here or away. That's trusting him. Would you trust him this morning? Are you trusting him this morning? It's not a one-time deal. It's a one-time and then over and over and over continual deal trusting Jesus. It begins and then it continues until you die. Trusting Jesus over and over, turning from sin, turning from me to follow him. The rich young man went away sad he did not recognize he could do nothing about his sin he could not make his way there and he didn't recognize the worth of the one right in front of him his stuff was worth more his life was worth more don't leave this morning sad your life is not worth more than following jesus then surrendering to him and trusting him. I can't picture it. I can't figure out how you do it. I don't know how you make life better than what it is right now. But I know that all of the ways that I've pursued it up to this point have leave, left me wanting more. And if you're honest with yourself, if you leave without trusting Jesus this morning, you're saying, there's more, I don't think that's the answer, and I haven't found it yet, and I'm going to keep consuming until I find it. Don't leave sad, wanting more. Trust that Jesus is better than anything that you could leave behind, any life that you could leave behind. And lay your life at his feet, figuratively or literally, this morning. Say, I am yours, and I will go where you say to go, do what you say to do, I will say what you say to say to whoever you put in front of me. I will trust you with my life. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus and following him is far better, not only in this life, but in eternal life to come than anything, anything that we could pursue, anything that we could achieve. Any amount of pleasure, any material things that we could gain, status that we're tempted to flaunt, nothing is better than being found in you, giving up trying to earn your favor, giving up trying to earn our keep, giving up trying to earn salvation, being right with you, God. God, may we be people characterized by utter surrender to your worth, trusting your name, trusting your work that you 
Jesus have died, that you've been raised again. And your perfect sacrifice brings life to us if we would trust you. Father, draw some to that this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.